So we just finished up seven weeks in the book of John on the miracles of Jesus. And guess what? We have three weeks that we had to come up with a series because December 1st is Advent already, which is, just feels crazy. But we are doing a series on prayer, and we are using Anne Lamott's book, which is Help, Thanks, Wow. And she talks about these three essential prayers that she believes have changed her life, that have helped her get through uh, the day-to-day -day life, who, that have given her hope. And these prayers are just that, asking for help, appreciating the good that we witness, and experiencing the awe of the world. And tonight we're going to talk about that prayer that we often pray out when we hit rock bottom, that help. We're going to talk about that tonight. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk just a little bit about prayer itself, because I think um, our individual prayer experiences or lack of um, bring us all to different places. I bet we all feel differently to some degree or another about prayer. And I think it's an interesting question to ask ourselves. Who taught us to pray? And I was thinking back on my own prayer experience. And I grew up in a Presbyterian church in, outside of Chicago. And we didn't pray a lot at my home. Uh, we didn't pray at dinner or bedtime. On occasions, we prayed in church. But the most significant time of prayer that I remembered was when I was about five years old and I was laying in our backyard and looking at the clouds, just moving along the sky. And I had this deep sense that there was something bigger than me, that there's something more here than me. And I sat in that space. And even as a little girl, I was doing a little bit of chatting. And I felt this deep sense of contentment and connectedness. And I was realizing that was probably my first real experience of prayer. And then as I became a, an adult and I 20-some uh, years ago got on staff at CPC, I was in all sorts of prayer situations as uh, being part of the pastoral care team. And I can remember being intimidated because there were some really good prayers. Like they had all the really good words to say and they had a lot of good memorized scripture and the very first time I was invited in to pray over someone with a new diagnosis, probably one of my most embarrassing moments were there's tears and we're all there, hearts all in, and I'm praying, and I called her by the wrong name. And not only that, but one of the other prayers in the circle corrected me. It's Janine, not Jeanette. And so I was a little gun shy of praying because it felt like, oh, my goodness, there's all these things that you need to do to make it just right. But I think what we really know and what Anne Lamott even says in her book, what we know more importantly through scripture is there's no right or wrong to this thing, to this connecting with God. I was talking to my husband. He grew up Catholic, and every night at their dinner table, they prayed this prayer. Does this sound familiar? Bless you, Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from the bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. And every night they said that same prayer, that same prayer. And for many people... Those, uh, the rhythm, the repetition of those prayers is really meaningful. It connects them in a way to God. For my husband, and I'm speaking for you, sorry I didn't ask your permission, but I think it'll be okay. It, it, didn't, it didn't mean much to him. <laughs> Let's just say that. But um, so I think that we have history, we have experience that really colors the way we experience or even think of prayer. So here's what Anne Lamott says about prayer. 
Here it is. Prayer is private. And even when we pray with others, it is communication from one's heart to God. I think that prayer means that in some unique way, we believe we're invited into this relationship where we are heard, even in the silence of what we're doing. And in the midst of our messy, busy, crazy, beautiful lives, I think that there's something really beautiful in this desire that's wired in us. This desire to be in union with the divine. All that sounds simple. I think when Matt and I were even talking about this sermon series, we're like, wow, how do you make this compelling? I don't think you have to. I think it is compelling because as simple as this sounds, it's really hard to do sometimes. And I think besides the baggage and that, all those other things, I think if we peel it back, what sounds so simple, this connecting with God, us bringing ourselves there, is that when we pray, we actually take a chance that against all odds, against our past history, that we're loved and that we're chosen. And I think those are scary things. I think we open ourselves up to a whole lot. We put ourselves out there when we step into that space. I think we could all say, what we know intellectually, right? That prayer expresses our relationship to God and to other and to self and it expresses our trust, it expresses our need, it expresses our love. That's all true, isn't it? But somehow it's hard to get it from here to here in our daily life. I was thinking before I get into the health, help piece of the prayer that it's important because we are people who practice the ways of Jesus to acknowledge that Jesus prayed all the time, right? Jesus prayed at his baptism. He prayed in the mountains. He prayed in the wilderness. He prayed and he gave thanks to God for everything. He prayed for others. He prayed about the disciples before he chose them. He prayed in the garden that God would take this cup from him. He prayed on the cross, and he prayed, Father, forgive them. And then he prayed again. And he said, why have you forsaken me? And then he prayed one more time. Father, into your hands I commend my, my spirit. Luke 11, 1 says this. Jesus is praying. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. When I think about this story and I think about this unnamed disciple asking Jesus to teach him to pray, I really don't think that he was talking about, hey, can you tell me the technique or tell me the proper balance of, hey, I better have enough adoration and thanksgiving and confession. I don't think that's what it was about. And maybe that's what messes us up, that we have to have the right words or the right techniques, or we have to cover all of our bases. I think that teach us to pray is about equivalent to show us your heart. Tell us, what is it like to be in communion with God? 
Because I don't think we go to scripture and to Jesus for techniques and best practices. We go to Jesus and scripture so that we can see what love looks like. Love in action. Love for God. Love for others. And what we learn from Jesus, we look at Jesus praying as we learn about the one to whom he's praying. And that's why it's not enough for us to just say, well, we pray because Jesus prayed in the Gospels. And although there is this beautiful invitation to those practices, I think the beauty of it is, is that Jesus, his prayers, they tell us how to imagine who God is and how God operates in the world. And here's what we know. God hears and he comforts and he provides and he forgives and he protects and he expects us to be generous to one another. And this is a God who calls us to bring our honest self to him. I think he requires it. But the question for us when we think about our own prayer lives is do we actually believe that about God? Do we dare to adopt this theology that tells us that we have a gracious and just and loving God? Because if we do, then we pray accordingly to that. And within that, we ask the question, can I pray? Can I bring my own unique self and my own unique um, wiring cadence emphasis when I am praying instead of maybe a series of statements or reciting things that people told me to recite or borrowing? Can I do that? And can I bring my prayers instead in a way where I want my life to look, to ask what can my life look like in God's hands? So when it comes to prayer, it's personal, right? And it's intimate, whether done alone or with others, like Anne Lamont said. And I know that. I've experienced that. I've been in some of the most intimate spaces with others in prayer, where the experience of God was beyond anything we were doing or saying, but was so clear. And I agree with what someone said, which was this. I know a hundred percent with no proof that God, that prayer matters. Hello. <laughs> because it does matter. And prayer, it begins with honest conversation. In this whole study, the two things that kept coming to me was we got to bring our honest selves and we got to humble ourselves when we meet God in this space where we can connect because when we're being truthful, and here's the hard part, when we're being truthful with self and with God, that's when we can connect. Connect in a way that changes things, changes us. And it's hard and it's messy because you gotta enter into stuff that maybe you're too tired to enter into. But that's the only way we do it is when we step forward in honesty. And now this help prayer, this asking for help, I think that's the hardest space. The hardest space to be honest because it does take this honest look at ourselves. 
And I also think we have to get over this hump somehow that getting honest with ourselves is unacceptable to God or disconnects us with God because it's absolutely the opposite of that. That if you want to experience the fullness of God, you can only bring your whole self, your true selves. Brennan Manning from the Ragamuffin Gospel said this, to be alive is to be broken and to be broken is to stand in need of grace. Honesty keeps us in touch with our neediness and the truth that we are saved sinners. There's a real transparency to honest disciples who never wear a false face and do not pretend to be anything but who they are. It takes courage and it takes intention to be real and it can, may, and it can mean going to hard places, spaces of pain and fear and uncertainty weariness and shame. This is what Anne Lamott says. Prayer is our sometimes real selves trying to communicate with the real, with truth, with the light. It is reaching out to be heard, hoping to be found by a light and a warmth in the world instead of the darkness and the cold. Isn't that what we're all looking for? Aren't we looking for that light? Don't we want to experience that warmth? That's what we're looking for when we're in need, whether we know it or not. I think that's what we're looking for, and I think who got that was the psalmists. You know, if you, the, the book of Psalms in the Hebrew Bible, 150 of those psalms, they were considered songs of prayer. In Psalm 13, a prayer for help goes like this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Psalm 13 is a prayer for when the bottom drops out. It's a prayer for help which is actually quite common in the Psalms. They say about a third of the Psalms are prayers for help. These Psalms that cry out from the depth of someone's soul. They cry out when the water is reaching their neck. An important part of these Psalms, and I think it's important for us to hear, is that these Psalms, these beautiful ancient words, this poetry, these Psalms, they're expressions of anger and confusion and questioning and despair. How long, O oh Lord? In the heart of this psalm, it's the ask, that request for help. Answer me. Give light to my eyes. And while these psalms, they express trust, they promise to praise God also allow us 
to cry out out of the place that we are, wherever that is. I love that we can hold all those things together. I think that is the life of faith. There's a scholar and theologian, Walter Brueggemann, and he calls those psalms, psalms of disorientation, because he says that they admit that life's not going too well, that life actually isn't this well-ordered sort of thing that we're told in Sunday school happens if you just live a life of faith. The psalms, what they do is they acknowledge that life is messy. They protest that things shouldn't be as they are. And these psalms, through the prayer, what they do is they evoke this action from God. They move the sufferer to another place, a new place. And here's why I think those psalms are so important. I think they give us permission. I think they give us the words for the deepest, darkest times of our lives. Those times when the bottom drops out. When when the pain seems like too much to bear. They also tell us that God is big enough. That God's got this. That he can handle our pain and our anger and our sorrow and our questions and our doubts. God is big enough. And here's the thing that I think battles the messages that we're often taught in this life of faith. The Psalms, they show us that a genuine biblical faith, it's comfortable and challenging God. And the hope in it all is that God is present always, even if it doesn't feel like that's true. So that prayer for help, the simple prayer, it sounds simple. I think it's the prayer that we struggle with to be really real. Because here's my question for you. I think when we hit rock bottom, we have no choice but to call out for help. But do we ask for help in the day-to-day of our life? In the big things and the small things? Do we let go of those things we hang on tight to, the things that we think we're in control of, and lean in toward God? I don't know about you guys, but I got a lot of lists of things I pray for, right? I pray for my the world and the environment and the country and our community and our neighbors and this church and the churches and for those that are hungry and homeless, for my family, for people I love, for people I don't even know. I have a list of people that I pray for. And when I pray, I pray, God, we need your help. And I pray that from the heart. Those times that when I was back at CPC and I'd have prayers of the people and you'd be praying over about 30 prayer cards, I mean, those were holy moments. But I got to tell you that when this messiness of life gets closer and closer to me, it gets harder and harder to ask for help. When it's closer to home, it's always hard. But until that something happens, that big something, we operate as though we don't even know we need help. We operate as though we got this, I got this.
Kara Tippetts was a young mom that um, developed cancer. She had four littles, and at 38 years old, she passed away. And she did a lot of blogging and writing and wrote a book. And she said this from her book, The Hardest Piece. Before cancer, I would have said I was on a journey of seeking grace. But in truth, I was manufacturing my own faith. If I found a need, I did my best to meet it by going, doing, loving. My going, doing, loving was my faith, not my nearness to Jesus. And in my mind, I knew my efforts weren't the substance of my faith. But my practice betrayed me. Guilty. Because I'm not good at asking for help. I don't know about you all. You can only answer that question for yourself. But over the last years, God has been opening my eyes to this place in me where I don't ask for help. I'm an oldest child. I'm the one in the family that everybody goes to. I'm the one when my sister was dealing with 12 years of cancer, I was the go-to. I was the shower-upper. I'm the one who carries the burden. That's what I do. I show up. I care. And along the way, I forget. I forget that it's God who's got this, not me. I let my identity at moments slip into this identity of the person who shows up, of the go-to person, of the person who doesn't need help. And as I was writing this, I was saying, oh, it just feels so ugly to say, but it's the truth. I've realized that over the years, I've started to have pride in this idea that, oh, my gosh, she is so high capacity. She always shows up for people. Wow, she really brings it. I got it, and I thought I had it until my sister died. And when my sister died, the bottom fell out. There's a picture of the two of us together, and many of you know this story. And for those that don't, when my sister was 40, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She had a one-year-old, and for 12 years, she battled it and metastasized to her bones and her lungs. And two years ago, last summer, um, she came and her husband and her 12-year-old for their annual 4th of July, and two days in, she took me by the arms with her pounds, five foot seven, and she said, Deb, would you mind if I died in your home? And guess what I did? I went, of course. Yes, you can. And she said, now what? And I said, don't worry, I got the now what. Guess what, you guys, I didn't have the now what. Because as we called hospice in in the next couple days and we thought we had, they said two weeks, maybe two months, it was only two days after that that she passed away. But the night before she died, and we had a house full of people that were sharing a meal and going up and down to say goodbye, there was a quiet moment and I snuck up there. And I spooned that little sister of mine. And I broke because she was dying. And in that moment, I realized I couldn't save her. And what happened in that raw and painful and beautiful and holy moment 
was that I realized that the truth of my existence is that I'm broken and I am so loved and I am so in charge of very little. And I prayed in that moment in a way that I'd never prayed. And I sobbed and I cried, don't leave me, God, don't let her leave me. And my sweet dying sister reached back and said, Deb, you're going to be okay. God, through Leslie, gave me that gift. But it connected me with God in a way that I will always hold close, that has changed me, that has made me a different person. Anne Lamott says this, Prayer can be motion and stillness and energy all at the same time. It begins with stopping in our tracks or with our backs against the wall or when we are going under the waves or when we're just so sick and tired of being physically sick and tired that we surrender or at least we finally stop running away and at long last walk or lurch or crawl towards something. Or maybe miraculously, we just release our grip slightly. When we release that grip, it's really hard and it's really scary, but it's really freeing. And that's the experience I had in that moment with my sister. God's got this. And there was relief. Because a nearness to God comes when we're vulnerable and when we're honest and when we're our true selves. The beauty in this all, friends, is that we don't go it alone. The beauty of the Psalms is that they give the expression they give is to the deepest moments of this human pain. But the Psalms also promise us God's presence always in the midst of our suffering and all things. And it's like Matt talked about last week, this God who's with us. That's a God that carries us. That's a God that brings us a new day brings us the sun and the dawn. And in that is hope. And there's relief. Because we're not in this thing alone. And every season of our lives, we'll experience things that we've never expected. That is life. And maybe what you are holding is something that's hard or painful for you. Because those are both the big and the little things, and it doesn't matter whether you're navigating the grief and loss and the death of a loved one or the brokenness of a relationship or a marriage or navigating mental health issues, financial ruin, job loss, parenting, the daily challenges of parenting. Maybe for you it's just doubt and uncertainty and 
wanting so bad to be a parent. But whatever it is, whatever those moments are, the seasons that we're in, those times that we feel like we're at the end of our rope, that we're tired, that we're weary, that we need help, that it's too much, that I can't do it anymore, that I can't stop doing it, I'm exhausted. Those are the moments we say, help. And then God enters the mess with us. The unexpected pain of life gives us a choice of how we'll endure it. Are we going to avoid our story or are we going to embrace our story? Are we going to go it alone or are we going to go it with? And if we could answer the question honestly, what is it in your life? Where is the place that you need help? That you need to ask God to step in? If we could walk away with that, if we could honestly answer that question, I think that's a great start to this practice of praying for help. Because when we do that, that walk, that daily walk for healing and restoration and awakening, we get to start telling the truth. And we can have and voice those scary feelings. We can bring our whole, true, messy self to the table. And together, together we can let go of these things that we hold tight to. And we can act on this idea that there's actually a power that's greater than ourselves. And with the prayer of help, we release ourselves from the crazy of being our own higher power and we ask for the courage to pause and to move our eyes from our stuff and put our eyes on the one who the help comes from. I wanted to end our time. There's been a lot of stuff going on in our community. Of course, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in all our lives and our stories. But there's been hard surgeries and hard diagnoses and challenges in our life. And so what I thought I'd do is end our time in prayer. I'm going to start the prayer with a reading from Isaiah 43. So please join me. You guys can close your eyes while I pray. But now God's message, the God who made you in the first place, the one who got you started, don't be afraid, I've redeemed you. I've called your name, you're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, we will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God, the holy of Israel, your savior. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich Cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. 
That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back, trade the creation for you. So don't be afraid. I love you. Holy God. Hear the cries of our heart. Hear the confession, God, that we are needy. That we need your help. God, we lift all the things going on in our lives, the challenges, the weariness, the sorrow, the pain and suffering, the uncertainty and the doubt. We lift all the prayers of our hearts, our minds to you in this moment, God. grateful that you are a God of comfort and mercy, that you are a God who hears our prayers, that you are a God who promises to stand with us, that you are a God who calls us to stand with one another. We lift it all to you, Lord, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Sunday nights, we come together. We pray. We'll do that in a few moments. But we share in this moment of communion, which is always far bigger than just taking the bread and putting it in the cup, but it's a moment where we commune with God and we commune with one another and we have this deep sense of God's presence in our life. When we come forward, we remember this God who loved us so much, a God that cried out from the cross in prayer, a God who then died and rose and promised us hope and new life. The night before Jesus died, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And he took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you, the new covenant. When you drink from this cup, remember me. We invite you to come forward during the music and when we take that bread and we dip it into the cup, we remember a God who meets us where we're at and answers our cries for help. The gluten-free elements will be up front, the regular on the side, and during the music, we invite you into prayer. We'll have three of the people from our prayer team standing in different corners of the room. Sam, Andrea, Jen, so if you'd like, stop by. You don't even have to say anything. You could just tell your name. You could simply say, I need help. 
you could tell your story. But we invite you into a space of prayer. So with that, would you stand as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.